Hey everybody, welcome to It's Real with Jordan and Demi in LA. I'm Jordan Edwards in New York. We got Demi Ramos. What's up, Demi? What's up, Jordan? I was just saying I feel a little bit like Miss you guys. Let's touch you through the screen right here. And today we have Mike and Tom from MXPX. What's going on, guys? Great to be here. Great to be in Los Angeles. Sorry we missed you. You're in New York, Demi, but, you know, we're going to talk. You're looking good over there. This is Tom. What's up? What's up? Yeah. And I'm not going to be self-conscious that you can read my notes right now off the side. That's okay. That's Do your okay. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk about the new album. My first question is, you guys have been around for so long. That's like, what gets you excited to make a new MXPX album? Like, what gets you in the studio now? My, my main thing is I have to plot to get the band guys excited, you know, because I'm writing the songs, but we're usually like working on, you know, a, a live tour coming up, like a live stage show or something like that. We've been doing like live streams, you know, the last couple of years. So anything live, anything live. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so going back into the record, it's like, okay, I have to like, time it just right. I'm not saying I actually plan that out, but it seems to be just the timing for us to all click together and actually like be in a place where we want to take a deep breath and go, okay, this is going to be a lot of work. You know, like, like when you're, you know, about to like go on, you know, go to work for like a double shift or something like that. You know, it, it's like that, except for it's a fun job. So it's exciting, but, but there is that a lot of, a lot of work, you know, like that's about to be piled up. Tommy, he kind of threw you under the bus there a little bit. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's, it's fine. No, I was going to say the thing that gets me excited, it's actually three parts. So it's the creation. We're sitting in the studio, we're writing songs and we're figuring it out. And we're like taking these little like seeds of a song and making it into a real thing. So it's the creation it's that creative aspect of it. Then you got the documentation where we go record it. Right. And you got to be creative in that too, no doubt. But like, we got the basic framework of it down and we're just like, that's super fun. I love being in the studio. I love recording. It's great. If we could just record all the time, it'd be awesome. Uh, then it's just getting it out to people and seeing their reaction and getting that instant feedback. Social media is great for that because you get to see the comments come right back at you versus like the old days where you put it out and you'd have to wait to go on tour to get people excited at the shows. But now, so it's like those three parts, just really just like that's so it's always fun. I always love making new stuff. It's great. Speaking of that, an interesting perspective. I think that's the first time we had someone on the show that said they enjoy like doing, you know, the internet part of like what it is to be an artist today. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Especially coming from like a punk rock band. That's pretty cool. It's a, like a fresh perspective on it. Yeah, it's easy to kind of get down on the social media thing. But I think if we just think of it as people and as our community, it, it doesn't like stigmatize it as much you know it's just more about like let's just reach some people let's tell people about the new album let's tell people about whatever we're, we're doing right now um and yeah social media you know it's like it's part of the job it's part of the work but if you just make it not so much a job and make it more about communicating i think that's what we're trying to do when we do this kind of stuff just trying to like connect with people and um I th it's been working i mean we just been doing it yeah and is <laughs> is, uh, is there any significance what's the difference between uh, find a way home for the album title well you know the last couple of years has been crazy for everybody it doesn't matter where you're from what part of the world you're from the world's changing technology's changing sometimes it feels like you're struggling to find where you feel comfortable in the world for us obviously wherever we're together wherever we're doing music it feels like home for us so 
it could mean a lot of different things, but I, I feel like generally it's just about finding where, where you, what you're looking for, no matter who. So as a listener, I'm thinking, okay, find a way home, um, digging as deep as I can into my own personal emotions about, you know, the life that's been going on lately. Um, so yeah, find a way home. We we're still looking. <laughs> I, one, one thing I, I, I think about when I think about your band is the consistency. Like if you listen to, you know, um, your early, you know, um, early albums and you listen to the new stuff, they go along right alongside each other. Like your voice still sounds the same. You don't sound like a scraggly old, you didn't get like the Bob Dylan voice thing going on. So uh, how have you maintained the consistency in terms of the sound and the songwriting? That's a great question. I think honestly what we try to do is be true to who we are, be true to what the song is as I write it, you know, cause there's, there's, you could take a song and cover it and make it a country song, make it a folk song, sure. whatever. But, but what we do when we get together as MXPX is we have a sound and it, and for better or worse, mm -hmm. That's what we sound like. And so I think almost it's almost like we can't help it. We can't help sounding like what we sound like. And yeah. therefore, the old records and the new records are kind of going to they're going to fit together. We actually did a, a live stream. Um, the last live stream we did a, a few weeks ago was was not only the whole record, but we in between added in requests from the audience. So they were getting their favorites mixed in with the new songs and we were really, really happy and surprised that it actually flowed really well. Like it didn't seem like, okay, this is a totally different style. And so to your comment, I totally agree with you. <laughs> I think also too, if you're as a band, if you're just like honest and like, you know, truthful to what you have and what you are, it's always going to sound like you. It may be a different kind of style or a vibe, like the clash, they changed dramatically throughout their career, but it was always still the clash. Right. You know? So I think like no matter what we do, it's, if we're being real and we're being authentic, it's always going to sound like us. And how much, how, how collaborative is the songwriting process? Do you have riffs ready to go when you come in uh, thing or, or, or Mike, do you have all the songs ready to go or how's that work? I mean, it goes a few different ways, but mostly like I do songwriting by myself and I'll, I'll put together lyrics, chord progressions, some riffs, sometimes, you know, but almost always the song changes completely. So like I'll have the lyrics and I'll have a few parts, but then like say there's a part Tom's not really feeling, he'll tell me that I'll be like, are you sure? We'll try it a few different ways, and and if he's still not feeling it, I'll change that. So it's very collaborative, but I kind of bring the shell of the song if that makes sense. Um, but like I said, it wouldn't sound like MXPX until everybody else puts their stamp on it. Oh, that's such a fire statement right there. Speaking of like just what you said, so how does in a punk rock band, how does one band member tell another band member that they're not feeling a riff or something? <laughs> like, what is, what happens behind the scenes? I mean, right to their face, honestly. We're sitting in the room, we're all jamming together, and it's real easy. Like, I mean, he can see it on my face sometimes if I'm just like, when we're playing something, like, I don't really feel this. There was a song, uh, uh, Mistakes Were Made. It's the last song on Find a Way Home. And, uh, there was a part in it that I just, every time we played through it, it was just like fingernails on a chalkboard. And it was like, I don't like this. It doesn't fit. It's weird. It takes me out of the song. We worked on it for maybe a solid month. Mike come back out, oh, try it, try it this way. It was always there. And I was just like, Oh, just that part just kills me every time you try reworking it. Finally, one day he's like, I think I got it. And we played the song and we just took that part out. And I was like, Oh, you nailed it. 
And it, it went from a song that I honestly like didn't like. And I was like, there's no way this is going to be on the record to being like one that I really love. And like, I was like, this is a great way to end the record. So yeah, to, to your question, you just, we got to be honest with each other. And you know, we've been doing this long enough that we can say, man, that song you wrote sucks. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, and it's not like, it's not personal. It's just, we're just, we're all trying to fight to make this a better thing. The song, the band, whatever it is. Outside of the band, you guys are obviously like really close. How do you maintain that connection like with your band members so that like you are growing as people together along with your project? You know what I'm saying? Some Oprah stuff right there. Yeah. Mm. You know, honestly, like I feel like doing things that a band does, which is making records, playing shows, making music videos, doing photo shoots. That stuff's kind of important for like promo and all that, but what it does for us as as people and as band members is it brings us together because we're doing those things together and we're experiencing this work, you know, because it is work. I mean, you know, a lot of people would argue that, but it is work, you know, so you experience this together and, and think of like where you work. You don't necessarily love all your, your employees, but there's employees you love, right? There's people like, I don't love like, my band members. I love no. that person, you know. So <laughs> yeah. that for us is us and, and we don't always hang out uh, outside the band, but anytime we do, we're we're good with it. So it's also the same kind of thing. It's like it's like brothers or old friends. You know, you just you see each other and you pick right back up where you were the last time you saw each other. So Mike could go away for a month or two and he comes back and it's just like the same old, same old. You know, been friends since high school and probably be friends till one of us dies. Honestly, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of um, we. When you guys were were coming up in the in the early '90s, what was the atmosphere like? What was the the, the rock landscape like? Because it was kind of wide open. I think about your debut album and Teenage Politics kind of came out back to back, and that was kind of the era of Dookie and Dude Ranch, and that sort of like when pop punk was becoming more of like a radio friendly thing. So, what was that the vibe like, and what were your hopes for the band when you guys were? We're starting to release music. I mean, for me, what my hope was with the band was uh, we've made a record and that was amazing. Like, oh my God, like there's a there's a CD of our music and like I'm playing guitar on that and it's great and it's awesome. And like as an 18 year old, that was just mind blowing. Like I like I had CDs from other bands and I had right. records from other bands and like we did it. Like we made one. That's really cool. Uh, I didn't know like what would go on from there. We went on tour straight out of high school. We graduated on on Monday and shot a video Tuesday, went on tour for two months on Wednesday. It just, it just happened. It was planned throughout our senior year. Like we were going right. And I didn't know what was going to happen when we came back and the first tour went really well. And you know, it seemed like people really liked it and like we survived. Right. And so we're like, well, let's do another one. Okay. That sounds cool. And like, then after a while I was like, I got these new songs from Mike. He's like, well, let's jam together. Let's, let's make a new record. And it just kind of like, you know, it just kind of, it took over and it just kind of like, it cruised and it was like, Hey, you guys ever thought about touring in Europe? Bad religion wants you to open for them. I was like, Oh yeah. Duh. I, the reason I was going to connect, I was going to make like an, you're only going to die bad religion reference yeah, there. Yeah. Um, uh, so you guys were friends with them. I thought you were, you guys fan, you guys were fans first, right? With bad religion. Definitely fans first. Yeah. Like we what, what were you, what did you guys, cause you were guys were in high school or even before high school when you started playing together. Yeah. So what were you listening to? What were you, what were you kind of modeling your sound after at the, at the time? I mean, the descendants are the big one, right? Yeah. For, for us and for just like pop punk bands in general, like if there's no descendants, there's no us. 
for sure. Yeah, we started getting into like so we came up in in Bremerton, Washington, which is a out it's outside of Seattle, Washington, and the grunge scene was big. Right. I heard Nirvana for the first time in my junior high school, and I was like, "What is this? It sounds like a weird Metallica. I like it, but like weird it sounds like Metallica because his voice it sound you know Kurt Cobain's voice sounded nothing like like what people sounded like on the radio, right? So I I was like, I guess it could be. Metallica. There was no other explanation in my brain, um, and this is right. Be this was before I would really started like getting into the band thing. MXPX started the summer before our, our high school years. So in junior high, it was just like the world's crazy. All these grunge bands are huge, but we were little kids. Like we we really were. So we're kind of just seeing this. From you, had, you had no desire to be to sound like Soundgarden or Nirvana. No, I mean not really. Like. Not really. I I liked Nirvana. I liked all that stuff, and we definitely like a couple of their songs sounded punk. I think Territorial Pissings, oh, yeah. we covered that just because it was more of like that's like a straight punk song, yeah. and so you know we're influenced by all of that Seattle stuff in some ways. But I really feel like like Tom was saying the the Southern California bands, Bad Religion, Descendants, No Effects, all that stuff. We kind of got into that pretty early, and Rancid. Um, and and Rancid toured up in, in in Washington State, and Tom and I went to the show. And this is literally as we're like just starting the band, so we had a lot of inspiration by some really great artists to to get us kind of going. But we pretty much went DIY because we were from a small town. There's no real industry. You kind of have to like DIY, promote your own shows, get your own shows, make a show happen, bring a bring a band from Seattle over to Bremerton, things like that. So early on, we didn't realize it, but we were becoming entrepreneurs. We were becoming business people on the side of also being artists. And you had the, you don't have to go into the whole history of, of the mascot um, and just your art in general, but how much do you think having that really bold art and merch helped you stand out as a band in those early days in the, in the mid nineties? I think it helped huge. I mean, it, it's, it probably is is like 50% of our success right yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, it was like, that. and I remember when I was a kid going into Hot Topic and there'd be MXP, and I was like, those are so cool. You know, I didn't even listen to MXP at the time, but I was like, you know, that's honesty for you that I didn't, I tell you I didn't listen to you. Yeah, to no, you that's cool. Was, yeah. But yeah, that, that mascot, we wanted something that represented our music was young feeling, and, right. and that really, you know, John Nissen that, that did the artwork, he came out with a the first sketch was like more punk and more like hardcore. And we're like, that's not quite us, you know, even though we were pretty punk back in those days, but right. we're like, we want something younger, like more cartoony. And he came back with the Poconaccia punk with the, the one you see now. Yeah. And we're like, so we that's it. So we never got a name. I always think of him Poconaccia, but do you call him Poconaccia? We, we call yeah. him Poconaccia punk. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't okay. have a real name. It's, okay. it's some people like if you're, if you're in Australia or, or some, other international communities they yeah. call them spike or spike it's kind of like boy. santa claus is called different things different yeah, parts yeah, of the world yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we call them the poking at your punk because our first album yeah the cool going to like diy kind of culture and stuff like that i think it's a it's a term that's been passed around a lot right because everyone's you know there's a lot of independent artists now but i think what's not like talked about as much is like how like important those kind of scenes are and impactful to the youth and then to the culture of, you know, 
of the times, what, you know, no matter which time it is. So like, can you take us back to like those moments when maybe you were playing with not the best equipment um, and maybe like the speakers are blown out and you maybe had like a secondhand guitar. Can you take us back to those cool, like bittersweet moments when you first started? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing you're talking about with like, with like DIY scenes and all that is like, and especially with kids, like when you're 15, 16 years old, you're looking for who you are. You're trying to find out who you are. You're find, find out where you belong. And so when you fall into that music and you fall into that scene, you know, that's like, you know, some kids get into sports and they play football and like us, it was like, you know, we fell into just like the punk scene and like the music scene. Like, you know, I'd, I had my first band was in, I played drums in a death metal band, but it was like, I was playing in a band. It was great. You know, it was super fun. I was like, we're making music and it's, we're making this noise and it's awesome. But like falling in that scene, it's just, it's huge. Cause that's why like you, you find out who you are and it starts defining who you are and you get like this community of friends and like, you can all meet up at like the show and it's just, it's just a really fun thing, especially when you're kids, you know, like I wanted to add, uh, I agree with you completely. I wanted to add, like, we didn't realize it either when we started touring and started getting out into the world that being in a band was just basically you're, you're a problem solver, uh, excuse me, a problem solver because everything's going to go wrong. Anything that can go wrong is going to go wrong and you're going to have to figure it out. So it could be like your amp blowing up or this or that, you know, on an actual show, or it could be your van or your vehicle on the way to the show breaking down. So we've dealt with pretty much every iteration of, and I'm going to knock on wood here because there's more, there's always more, but uh, we've dealt with a lot of iterations of, of problem solving. And uh, I, I think that's just, if, if you, if you thrive in solving problems, you'll be really good on the road especially as you know these days with with all the technology there's always new things arising you guys famously i i grew up going to warp tour as a lot of the people watching this probably did and you played what four or five of them i guess something like a bunch, that yeah and yeah. international ones as well international yeah. ones. um what do you remember about the first one you played what like 96 or whenever that was 97 like what was that like compared to the later ones you played yeah, uh, yeah. The first time we played Warp Tour was '97. We played the last like ten shows of the tour down in the southeast, and uh, it was hot. <laughs> it was. I mean, Warp Tour is different from a club show because you're outdoors all day. You got to be there early for like loading at like 10 a.m. and like, you know, normal shows you can show up at, like 5 p.m. and it's all good. 10 a.m. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You're showing up early. You're loading in. The whole show starts like you can be playing at noon, and you got to be there because they don't announce the lineup till like that morning. So everyone's got to show up early. But uh, I remember it just being just craziness. They had the food truck backstage that fed everyone, and it was kind of like these two surly-looking dudes. That, <laughs> I think at the end of every week, they made just like goulash, which was just all the leftovers thrown in a pot and heated up, and it was just this mush. And uh, But it was just like, I mean, we just knew right then, like, this is where I want to be, and this is like, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else because it was all these great bands, and we got to play with Milo from The Descendants. He sang Hope with us on that tour in Atlanta, and just like, that was mind blowing. And so like, this is a guy we grew up listening to his band, you know, loving his music. And all of a sudden we're like sharing a stage and we're like on the same level with these kind of bands. And it's just like, it's just great. Like, you know, that's that community and that time. But yeah, just, that's my biggest memory of that is it was crazy hot. We're living in our van, like with the AC running all day and it barely cutting it. Uh, Milo. Oh man. Yeah. What do you got? I mean, I mean, I could go, but um, just saying, you know, 
we would show up at the show in the van and just run our AC all day because it's so hot. And you know, you're, you're get, you'd have to fill up the gas tank before. So, I mean, there's like real life stuff, you know, it was like our college, it was our you know, university of hard knocks kind of thing. We learned a lot about life and we'd already been learning those lessons, you know, on tour leading up to that. But 97 was great. And I think we fit, we went to the first warp tour ever. We attended the Seattle date of that. And Tom and I went, I think the tickets cost us, we, we went to the, it was like, you go to the drugstore and buy tickets, yeah. which was weird, but there were $15 tickets. By the time you guys are doing the the, the warp tours in the late in the late two thousands, you guys were like kind of like the the um, the the respected elders of the tour. Um, so were you guys like VIPs? You guys have like baller, comfortable like air conditioned trailers, or what was the difference between the 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 last warp tours you played compared to the first one? Well, yeah, we definitely got a little more comfortable as the years went on. We did 97, we did 98, we did 99, uh, Australia, Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did the two different separate tours, but Europe and Australia. Um, and then we did 2000 in the U.S. and we did 2002 and 2005. So, yeah, we and we did at least Australia twice and we did, I think we only did Europe once. But um, am I right on that? I think twice for Europe, yeah. But it was it was just, I mean... We've done so many. It's just, it's crazy to even think about. But yes, we got, you know, there's no way around it. You're gonna get uncomfortable on a tour like Warp Tour. But, but uh, by 2005, you know, everything's changed on the Warp Tour. There's corporate entities doing like signing. It wasn't just the size and the, and how nice it was. It was just the corporate influence. It started creeping in a little bit. Yeah, we were doing signings at like the MLB pitching cage (laughs) we'd go we'd hit a few balls we'd sign some things to talk to people it was just it was just this circus it was great i mean if anything if you were paying attention to business and how business worked you could get a huge lesson by just being on the warp tour and seeing all these different people representing different businesses corporate entities all of that side of it and then of course there's the actual artist doing the shows all of that so we would we would you know we'd have to we'd have a schedule on the bus like okay here's what we're doing today here's our set time here's our signing here's our press time tom you doing press today or am i doing press or whatever i mean that was kind of the vibe you get up every morning you'd get your cases of beer and your cases of water delivered to you so it really was a little ecosystem that kind of just moved around the country and what do shows look like now what do tours look like now compared like do you guys have you guys must have a nice bus or how, how do you travel? When we now? tour, we'll we'll take a bus when we tour. Um, but a lot late, lately, we fly out, fly out to shows. We've been headlining a ton of festivals. We got um, Furnace Fest coming up. Uh, where we're headlining Friday night, September twenty two. That's going to be great. But we'll fly in for that. Um, we're going to be doing When We Were Young Fest in Las Vegas, two nights there, and another fly in. You know, because these are these huge events. We'll just go in for, and then you know we actually have. If I could tell you, we have. Uh, the Hollywood Palladium coming up. So we'll be in town doing a show January 6th. Tickets are on sale now, but it's been growing great. People are stoked on it. It's MXPX, Less Than Jake, Reliant K, and Smoking Popes. Oh, wow. So it's like if you if you know those bands, if you know the scene, those it's like It could have been called awesome. bands that were once considered Christian. <laughs> could be, yeah. except for Less Than Jake maybe. Yeah, but. yeah, but I think about you and Reliant K especially. Yeah. Oh, right, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I don't have any tattoos, but I see what's going on here. Mm. We have a lot of body art. 
Do you guys have any tattoos that maybe like you would want to like a cover up or take back? Because <laughs> I don't know how that feels to get a tattoo. But like, what are some funny tattoos that you guys have? Tom's got a lot to say about this. I'll just say once you get a lot of tattoos, it doesn't matter as much. But <laughs> but good. Yeah, uh, I had a couple of tattoos that had to do with my ex-wife, so those got covered up. So yeah, that you know. <laughs> Hey, that you, live and you, you live and you learn, right? I think I think that's kind of rock rock and roll. I think it's kind of metal though, to have like, yeah, 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 to have like, like the, that the, takes the a the lot X. of like heat, you know. What was oh, your yeah. first? Do you remember your first tattoos? Uh, yeah, I had this like Hebrew symbol on my leg. It says life. I don't know what year, eighteen or seventeen, whatever it was. It, it made oh, it sense. It says toilet, but yeah, we don't really know. Well, I got I got this uh, poking at your punk right here, which was. Which I got before the album actually came out, so nobody had seen the thing. So I'm like, so I'm it was just be the like first. A, it was just like a little, it was a little illustration as far as everyone. It was, was a, was a it was a sketch of the album cover, but it was like a pencil, like a pen pencil sketch, not colored or anything. So I was like, I'm definitely the first person to get this tattoo. So that's my claim to fame: mm. first person to get the Pokemon Punk. But um, but as far as other tattoos, we've I, I got back in the day. Uh, some of our friends got this guitar needle poke. I don't know if you ever remember seeing that or anything. There's, you could build your own tattoo machine or tattoo gun or whatever you want to call it. Whoa, well, from Radio really? Shack, dating that a little bit, but um, from Amazon, right? You get these <laughs> yeah. motors on it, so you can build your own thing. And that you put a guitar string, and that's that's what's hitting needle. you. A guitar right. string's hitting you, and so you can't get a straight line because the guitar string's just like flopping all <laughs> over the place. But I got a couple of those early jail jail tats back in the day most of which are now covered i have to ask uh before we wrap this up you're playing bass in goldfinger yes is that like a like you've actually recorded music with them you're not just a touring fun uh, show here and there kind of thing like what's 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 up with that yeah i think i started out as a touring fun Mm -hmm. bass player but then you know I, i stuck with them over the years i started in 2013 went to Australia with them and then just kept, he just kept calling me. John kept calling me, asking me to do, do more tours. And finally it was like, he had a new record and, and he's like, Hey, write on this, play on this. And then on their latest record, never look back. He would, he would hit me up and be like, okay, play bass on all these songs. And can you write a, a verse on this song? You're like can a you real band member. A, he, that's bra- like a bridge on this song. Yeah. yeah. So like yeah. I started writing, lyrics and and singing actually on the record so you can hear me sing but yeah and have you been friends with with john for a long time and like been friends with john for a long time but honestly i mean joining goldfinger we became much better friends sure, because sure, of that sure. but we met goldfinger in bremerton washington our hometown wow. mxpx's hometown uh-huh. um mxpx was playing Endfest, which is a, a radio station show and we were on the main stage earlier in the day and Goldfinger was on the side stage, but they were headlining. So they were sort of headlining the, the little stage. And they saw us play and we saw them. We already knew who they were, but they had right. seen us for the first time. So that was sort of like a something that John always remembers. I remember seeing you, that one thing and blah, blah, blah. It was in Bremerton where you live. I'm like, that's the one. Yes, yes, that's where we met. So it was kind of cool because I remember listening to Goldfinger back in you know the MTV di- uh, MTV days. Yeah. Back when here in your bedroom, here in your bedroom was yeah. a huge song, and to me it was like they were as big as any band. Right. So, right. Yeah, yeah, I saw them with Zebrahead back in the day. Wow. Yeah, yeah, we love Z- we love those, yeah. guys. I those guys. I had the Zebrahead um, shirt that looked like the Tide logo. 
but it was Zebrahead. <laughs> that was so mm-hmm. huge back in the day the where well, logos, it probably still is, yeah, but yeah. just the fake logo of like a corporate logo, but putting your, your band name on it. Herrera. Yeah. That's my name. Spanish. Are yeah, you Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Demi's yeah. Demi's uh, Puerto Rican, so she likes to. Oh, yeah, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My yeah, I have the Smith of of Mexican last <laughs> names, but yeah, my my dad is uh, is Span Mexican, really. You know, um, his parents spoke only Spanish. His so my grandparents. Did you did you, did you grow up speaking Spanish? Not really. So it's funny because my dad was in the Navy. So when I was a kid. He was gone on a boat, just like I was kind of gone on tour when I was right. when I had my kids. But um, I, you know, he regrets. He's like every time I see him and I'm trying to speak Spanish or something. He's like, "Man, I I failed you, son. I failed you." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know a few words, but I definitely yeah. am not fluent. Curse of being second generation, or was it first generation? Yes. Yeah, second. That's yeah. so cool though. I, represent. I feel like I don't know. I really can't name many. Uh, like Hispanic frontmen of you know in rock and roll. I think that's so cool. My my legendary frontman growing up was Richie Valens yeah. because he was Hispanic, yeah. but also just seeing that movie La Bamba mm. that was really inspiring. So really, it's Lou Diamond Phillips you were really yeah. into. <laughs> Lou Diamond Phillips, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that that's cool. Yeah. So so as you got older, did you kind of get more in touch with like your Mexican heritage and at all or? or uh, no. sure, 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 I did, Jordan. Sure, sure. sure, I did. I was trying. Yeah, I, I, as soon as I, as soon as I started saying that, I was like, "That's like, not." I, I shouldn't. Yeah, it's not. the blinking meme. The guy that blinks at you and just smiles. Yeah, and, uh, we. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because people are going to ask me till the day I die, "Do you speak Spanish?" And I'm going to have to say, "Poquito mas." Yeah, a, or <clears throat> I didn't even say that right. That's a little more. I didn't even yeah. say a little more. Demi just got back from the motherland. She was in she was in Puerto Rico a few days ago. How was yeah, that, Demi? Super olive, like one day in the sun, and I'm like, Shh. you should have seen how I went. There. We I love mean, it. this is if I stayed a few more days, I'd probably be. Yeah. Yeah, like South America is insane down there. Costa Rica, uh, going further south, Brazil. Anytime we've experienced shows, and we've been down there a few times. Yeah. It's insane. So we're trying to get back down there. We've been to Puerto Rico once, but we played a show, but it wasn't a real show. It was for an MTV movie. It was Wuthering Heights. They did a remake of it. But we were there for like a solid like three, four you days. Like the band in the background yeah, playing or something? Exactly, yeah. I thought that was kind of like a fun little notch in the belt for a band to have. Is like they were like we interviewed. Who we interviewed that was in... Um, we interviewed somebody that was in a movie. Oh, oh we interviewed Mark Arm from Mudhoney, and they oh, were in nice. Black Sheep, the Chris Farley movie, and he nice, talked nice. about that. that, was, that we was love cool. Mudhoney, by the way. Oh, yeah. Speaking of yeah. grunge and like bands that we yeah that's into. one of Demi's favorites interviews yeah you get a lot to say about like the scene in Seattle and just like Nirvana and uh... before the last thing I want to ask you about you got this badass space that you guys uh, record rehearse in. you guys did that live feed for the album release um, how do, have you always that's one thing that's interested in me is like when bands become successful, they build their ideal practice space, their ideal studio. So is this like a long time coming? Like, have, have you always kind of dreamed of having, you know, this ultimate space? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like most artists want to have a studio to, to, to do their stuff, you know, like a lab to create, right? In 1999, we built a studio in my parents' garage. So where we used to practice 
for like life in general and all the early stuff. What was the gear you used we at the built, time? We got, we got um, ADATs. So I don't know if anybody knows what ADATs are, but they're basically like giant VCRs. Yeah. They look like VHS tapes, but they record audio. So we're recording on that. We put together a studio called the, the Clubhouse. We recorded Panic, one of our albums there. Um, and, you know, a bunch of other things. And that really was the jumping off point as far as like, okay, we're going to always or should always have a studio. Right. It's just so convenient. You, even if you don't record your actual albums there, you can record all your demos, you can rehearse, you can get a lot of work done. So fast forward to now, you know, uh, 2007, I bought a house in Bremerton, Washington that I just completely just changed into a studio, mm-hmm. built a studio, recording all of that. And then fast forward to now we're doing live streams so it's a tv studio it's a streaming broadcast studio it's not traditional it's not like your traditional tv studio but it does the things that a tv studio would do and way elevated than a lot of people have yeah and and that's what's insane is like it just takes a lot of focus time obviously investing some some cash are you into like the av stuff like the the cameras and the lighting and all that kind of stuff like have you gotten more into it over the years because you've been around it i'm an av nerd i really am like i started out in high school had an independent class that was just it was like i don't know i guess it was called media or something (laughs) and Club, yeah. Yeah, yeah, AV class, and, and we're we didn't have a real classroom. It was just me, you know, me and a few other people in the library in this like side room, and we had those editors where you would edit the VHS tapes, and then onto each other. So you scroll it and scrub it. You don't know what I'm talking about at all. I'm but, I'm, I'm I'm a little but, bit younger than you, so I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like the real like analog editing. I started making videos like skate videos with yeah. that. And then the skate videos turned into band videos and, yeah. and things like that. So, so did you, were you into like the CKY stuff? And um, I was a little bit busy when that became up, but I, I remember seeing the CKY stuff come up and go, that's cool. But I would have already kind of passed paying attention to that and on to like, we're on tour. We're doing this. We're, were there, we're, I feel like there had to have been some MXPX songs on like those skate videos and stuff, right? Or you, we had a bunch of songs yeah. like yeah. Uh, Cinema Beer. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna remember all the names, but like Cinema Beer Nuts is a is one that I remember that people come up to us all the time. Cinema Beer Nuts. Yeah. It was a it was a compilation. I think Doing Time was on it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. there was. I remember there was a uh, one called Punk Uprisings. I think that was on Lookout. That came out and it had a punk rock show on it, and it was kind of like people's first taste of us, like. And like the greater punk scene, because Lookout was like one of those touchstone labels where it was like everything on it was cool, you know? Yeah. For those of you under the age of 30, if you go on YouTube, you can find like old skate videos from the 90s. That's where like Spike Jones came up. And, um, you know, even Tony Hawk, even though he was a star, he was involved with these and, and all the jackass guys, of course. Jason uh, Lee was a skater. Yeah, yeah. Jason Lee. Yeah. Totally, totally. Um, so, Demi, you got anything else? We're going to peace out on this. I think that's super cool how like skate culture is like combined. I think one of the terms that was used to describe your music was skate rock or skate skate punk. Skate punk. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's definitely Where true. Where does that come from? Is it just like because of the videos and stuff like that, or yeah, it's just the mel- the melding of the two worlds of just like you know music and skating. It just all went together really well. So, you know, you play the music that gets people stoked, and they just go out and pump even harder and. Yeah. Just like your, uh, just like your PSY shows, Demi, at the at the at the King That Ramps. is so true. That's right. I'm yeah. playing a skate park on Saturday, but yeah. I always wondered, like, where <laughs> the two, like, where and how do the two cross? Because like, it's easy to set up a three piece band at a skate park. Punk boys love skateboards. 
I guess this is what it is. Well, that's the question. Right. Last question. Last do you guys skateboard? Yeah. Do you guys skateboard? Good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you do. I skateboard, yes. I Do I still skateboard? Technically, yeah. I never quit, but I just don't as often as I used to. But I used to be in the skate park. I used to be uh, on my ramp, you know, right at, at my house, built like a, a, I guess you just call it a, a vert ramp or yeah. uh, what is it called? You got a half pipe. A jump ramp. I don't have a half yeah, pipe. Quarter pipe. Quarter pipe. There you go. Yeah. I'm like forgetting What's all the terms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I know how to ollie. Come on. You do ollie? That's the only thing I know about ollie. Yeah. There was definitely our first couple tours where Mike would bring a skateboard with him and I'd be like, hey, that's cool and all, but you break your arm, we're done. Like, <laughs> So you might want to chill a little bit. Right. Yeah, yeah. I always got these guys on my back making sure I'm not doing anything too crazy. So yeah, I just Aww. chill. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I love skateboarding. I still still enjoy it um but i love seeing other people skate to our music we actually have a skate video it's not out yet um but we have a video for one of our songs on the new record that's a bunch of skaters it's so us it's, it's like park. kind of like a throwback to those skate videos oh yeah, oh, yeah. we're playing with at this uh skate park down in coma right by where we live and it's it ended up being really fun awesome it was awesome. rad all right, guys, thank you so much for coming by and joining us on the show. The new album, Find A Way Home, is out now. Do you have, what's, what's true coming up in the next, like, um, September, October? What's going on? So we got Furnace Fest coming up September 22nd. We have, of course, we're going to be doing some more live streams coming up. Maybe not this year. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Anything could happen. But for those that can't get to the actual physical shows, we'd love to be able to provide that other service, you know, like give them free shows online. So we're going to continue to do not only face-to-face in-person shows, we're going to do live stream shows on the internet uh, through 2024. So a lot of the dates are going to be hitting in 2024. All right. That'll be, that's, that's it for us. Demi, Demi, thank you for joining us, Demi, via satellite in New York. And as always, go to popdust.com for the latest in pop culture and music news. Follow me on Instagram at Jordan Edwards Studio. Follow Demi at Demi underscore Ramos. Until next time, we'll see you later.